do something cultural today why because your patronage if i can use that grand word or your embracing of it will directly support a cultural institution in your community or your city when you are interested in theater you will go once a month looking for a place when you are interested in music do it as a fun activity you know instead of going to the mall and having a cup of coffee team up go see a theater go see a play go see a classical indian concert uh, your patronage benefits a, a big section of the society comprising of musicians and artists and performers yes. who have been decimated yes. by this pandemic so that's something that yeah. i advise everyone listening to it do something cultural for the simple reason that you're doing it support someone you're listening to ed talk with anuj a podcast that takes you back to school to understand how far we all have come and the future we are all headed towards my name is anuj and this is my attempt to explore the evolution of the indian education system through the lens of people from various walks of life happy listening hello and welcome back to ed talk with anuj now back in school sitting in a classroom i never quite understood the point of learning what date a certain war was fought on or which historical figure was born in what year i hated having to mug it up for you know dates and statistics for the sake of examinations but on field trips from school standing behind the glass wall at the salarjang museum in hyderabad staring at the thousands of pieces of art from all over the world or walking around the ruins of the magnificent golconda fort i found myself transported to a different era imagining a life basically completely different from my own tour guides would weave stories of valor and splendor battles and conquests outfits and jewelry and for a brief period i would wish to live it experience it understand it but that was it because after that brief fantasy land experience i'd find myself back in the classroom reading dates and names and timelines all over again and that was boring but it would get me some marks so i found it easier and also easier to understand than mathematics so okay mug it up now as i grew older and started traveling the world i was constantly drawn to doing history and culture based walking tours especially in europe where they do a lot of it and it would be a great insight into the ever evolving cultural journey of that city that country and its people and as i witnessed other countries preserve and even celebrate their history with envious fervor I'd question the lack of seriousness about our own stories back home considering we have more historical data than half the world put together. So I keep searching for answers to who we are, where we have come from and where we are all headed. And in my quest to talk to more people about this, I recently came across a, a very dynamic, a very committed individual who's been working behind the scenes for many years to document, archive and preserve our cultural history from across India. So today on Ed Talk with Anuj I talked to Deepthi Sasidharan an art historian curator and founder director at Eka Archiving a cultural advisory and works on heritage and museum projects across India with the government with private and corporate clients her work of course has been path breaking in India including uh, setting up museums exhibitions and the creation of archives like those for Kalakshetra Chennai Siri Palace Udaipur uh, Mumbai Police and Tata Trust Mumbai etc She's working on the Moda Goa Museum, India's first costume museum in Goa, on the redevelopment of the Bastion Bungalow at Fort Kochi with the government of Kerala and a memorial project in Porbandar, Gujarat. She's a Fulbright and Fundasau Orient scholar. She has curated, spoken and published extensively on 19th century photography. She's worked on photography collections um, you know in, in New Delhi and of course was part of the team that restored the Chaum Mahalla Palace in Hyderabad to its present glory. She lives of course in Mumbai and is the co-author of Indira a Life of Courage and Treasures of the Deccan. So welcome Deepthi thank you so much for being on a talk with Anuj with me thank you so much. Hi Anuj pleasure talking to you today morning. <laughs> Lovely to be here. Thank you thank you and thank you for everything you're doing because the more I my fascination with history increases uh, the more I you know I'm I'm continuously in, ad in admiration of people who are working so hard behind the scenes to you know give us that little glimpse into what that world used to be 
and that's right there's just there's just so much my god <laughs> will we ever reach the end of it or is there no end at all there isn't an end and i think in india we're just so incredibly lucky you don't have to be at least in this department we don't have to feel jealous of any one part of india that you live in mm. every city every state every culture cuisine has just so much to be um proud of there begins our story we just have so much that i think we don't want to talk about it or perhaps <laughs> at another level we don't appreciate it as much wow yeah so Yeah that's In true. fact when when I speak with people abroad about India I I mean and this is something that a lot of people also tell them that every 100 kilometers everything changes the palate changes the the food changes the the uh, the outfits change you know uh, the, the the languages change the cultural little little references everything so it's every 100 kilometers it's a it's a it's a new country all over again and it's constantly evolving so I'm I'm sure it's quite a task to just first understand all of this and in the modern age with all the digital tools and resources at our disposal i think uh, it begins really with an acceptance like you said of just understanding that we are multicultural and we don't pause to think about it i remember last year we opened this uh, museum of uh, paper money it's called the rizwan razak museum of hmm. indian paper money it's a single person collection in the city of bangalore it was an absolute joy working on that project for almost close to 4 years but what was nice was as you dealt with something as simple as uh, paper currency and i always used to think that that's so ubiquitous right all of us carry a currency note um in our in with us yeah. from the lowest strata to the highest strata in some denomination on the other and you pick up that single piece of paper which is actually more rag than paper and look at it look at the number of languages that are on it look at what is uh, shown on the re- reverse side of it and it will show you symbols and ideas and artwork of um, of what it represents mm. and indian paper money is actually divided down the middle you've got um, we've got our muscle power and strength science and technology shown at the same time we show off our heritage and historical monuments and symbols of our culture it's also national pride you've got the father of the nation um and and then of course money money drives mm-hmm. the world right mm-hmm. so just a simple one simple cultural expression as a currency note there's just such powerful storytelling in just that one object and something we all carry with us um i don't know how many teachers think that they could pull out a currency note and history tell perhaps wow. in their spaces that's a thought that's a thought i mean it's available um, yeah. and 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 for once if parents are not offended perhaps ask the kids to bring along a currency note as well and and that's that could be the start of well one amazing. idea <laughs> amazing i'm going to make a note of that for my school <laughs> yeah but take me back to school um, you know your school days during you know the the history period especially when which is social studies we include history geography and civics everything into social studies at a younger age were you staring at books with wide eyed fascination or were you yawning like i was waiting for the bell to ring and what made you wipe all that dust off the shelves and pages and then say i'm going to tell these stories for the world to see um well i actually was midway i wasn't yawning uh, nor was i wide eyed i think i was a very average student throughout school uh, my father was in the army so shunted around every 2 years to a new school and i think the greatest learning was really in the new cultures and spaces and cities that we lived in um i remember my classes 11 and 12 i was in the city of uh, shillong in a kendriya vidyalaya Hmm. not plan but the medium of instruction was hindi which i didn't take to very well so i have to my credit in those two years uh, having been able to read um, close to around 100 150 books because i was tall i would sit in the back seat so i would uh, i'm sure the teacher knew what i was doing but you know they couldn't help me um, and and it was just one of those nice benefits and i think wow. i learned a lot like that but somewhere a rare backbencher th- if i may call you yeah i know and i think maybe <laughs> maybe that that one uh, um habit which has also stayed with me lifelong 
helped me uh, definitely have a fascination for history mm. throughout. Mm. And then after I passed out of my um, class 12 horrors, um, I passed out from not science, but arts, but with fantastic mm. uh, marks nonetheless. I got into Lady Shriram College in uh, in. Delhi University for a degree in um, history honors, pushing aside the options of English literature and journalism. And then, of course, and from then on, there's been no looking back. It's just been, I think I just to have a curious open mind has helped um, and a natural fascination that I always had for history, then somehow translated into a career. Wow. What what were your first steps like in the journey of telling these stories uh, after after graduating, after saying that, hey, this is what I love to do? And how complex was it to take those first steps? I think, um, so after I, just to uh, reconnect the story back to where I left off, after my basic degree and honors degree in history, I did a master's in what's uh, museum science mm. uh, from from Delhi. This was absolutely pivotal and magical because uh, I was working at the National Museum of India, which has a fantastic cross-section of objects retelling the history of um, of India, 5,000 years of uh, history told simply through art. And as interns, uh, we would uh, one day be in a department of miniature Indian painting, um, some wow. days be working with the Indus Valley Civilization. We, we didn't really, I mean, I have to say this, it was something we had to do. Um, there were, of course, more attractive pursuits outside our mm. workplace, like the usual cinema and nirulas and whatnot. <laughs> but uh, we uh, stuck to it. And somewhere, I think the story shifted because you pick up an object and you wonder what it is. I remember uh, looking at these um, beautiful brass objects that are, and we worked in the reserve storage. So people associate museums with what you see on display. Mm. which is quite dreary actually in some of the galleries that have changed scant little since independence. But working mm. in the reserve stores is a whole another experience. It's still dirty a little bit. It's still dingy, but the objects are magical and they've never been seen. So you pick them up, you question, you have mentors and teachers, archaeologists, specialists who are coming, who open up these vistas. And I really uh, feel that at the heart of history is good storytelling factual good storytelling right. and once you've been taught to look and appreciate that kind of a beauty of an object um, and then there's no looking back so to answer your question as what do you look at when you look at storytelling I think at, at presenting objects and telling their stories I think it always has to be a compelling story uh, presented with of course fact and and it not, has nothing to do with history. You don't, you're not necessarily in love with something that is 5,000 years old. Um, in your city in Hyderabad, uh, at Salar Jung, since you mentioned yep. that, I'll take that as an example. I think the biggest draws are the whale Rebecca. Mm -hmm. um, this, and then you have that uh, lovely mechanical clock. Yep. Um, and uh, let's see. And then I suppose the twin, Those two lovers the twin sided side statue. The yeah, yeah I think Mephistopheles and Margarita. Right. Now, if you think of it, all three objects are just about 100, 150 years old. And you've got much older things in the museum. But these three are the big draws because mm. of the storytelling that has been told. You know, mm. the whale, Rebecca, other copies exist elsewhere in the world. But just this fascination for looking at a, a single block of marble that's a, able to convey transparency of fabric yeah. brings back people again and again. The mechanical clock, I remember once we were working there in, I worked in Salarjan. I don't know mm. if I shared that with you. Mm. And we had um, a visit from the uh, prime minister's office. The prime minister at the time, PM Manmohan Singh, she, he didn't come, his wife came. And she walked in and she said she'd come to see the Nizam's jewels that were showing at that time. Right. And you know that story, yeah. right? Um, the fifth largest diamond in the world. There were Correct. queues that were a mile long. But she came in and she says, Mirko ghadi dekhna hai. <laughs> and the the museum was not prepared. The museum was prepared to show the jewels. The and, jewel. you know, then CISF panicked. People were barricaded. And she oh. said, I don't want to. I don't want to disturb anybody. I just want to go in and see the ghadi, which, as you know, is now in a little <laughs> yeah. that pit. Correct. And she came, Correct. sat down. And we were the kind of, I and a colleague, we were the sort of guides for the day. 
and we sat down and she looked at it luckily the timing worked out well she was able to see the 12 o'clock chiming mm. and people she sat with people of course with i'm sure very um on the edge security mm, mm, mm. and when it finished uh, when it finished chiming people clapped and she clapped as well and the director who was sitting next to me he says you know i see this many times a day for so many years now and i've always wondered why and i think i've come to the conclusion that it's because it brings out the child in every visitor yes he says what could there be there are many clocks like this yes. there are i don't know if you know six identical to that in hyderabad alone Really? mechanical clocks yeah see there's one in chomala there's one in falaknuma and i'll share the other list later wow. but you know and and the one in chomala is far more beautiful but wow. the fascination like i said and it's actually and the director is a good friend but i actually think the clock is presented horribly there was a time when there were two uh, you know fish tanks on either side with yes, gold fish yes i remember that yeah. you remember yeah. that yeah, yeah, right yeah, yeah, yeah. but still wow. everybody claps and i think it's bringing the child out that wonder what you said you know of pressing Beautiful. your nose against something i think that's really that that is the only um sizzle that mm-hmm. uh, can make any of us go to any museum really beautiful beautiful i mean I, i for the benefit of listeners who haven't been to the museum even from hyderabad there are a lot of people who haven't seen the museum yet uh, it is a single man collection um, of of artifacts from around the world i mean a hoarder at that time if i can say that was he, he? was a connoisseur, connoisseur. he was an aesthete <laughs> uh, sir salajang was the prime minister to the nizam of yes. hyderabad who in the 1930s was uh, one of the wealthiest um, he was on the cover of time hmm. um we haven't managed that since um and uh, um he was <laughs> he was uh, extremely wealthy and so were his ministers and salah sir salajang uh, the sir given by british uh, was just uh, a seat and he brought back it was also a trend of the time the wealthy of the time right. uh, would collect and bring back these beautiful things and yeah. after independence because uh, he wanted it to be so there were three generations of the salajang it was made into first a public museum and then finally i think a national museum Wow. Yeah. You know talking about this childlike fascination in museums and then connecting it with the history that we learn in the classroom. They're rather disconnected worlds. Absolutely. In, you know what we learn in our textbooks is something completely different from the real world experience we have even in small discussions because people just we don't know. We have not been made aware of a lot of cultural or historical references except statistical points that this happened this Absolutely. happened this happened so uh, talk to me about that uh, why is this disparity yeah i mean you said it you said we don't know and i would just add to that and say we all don't know the children don't know the teachers don't know um if you were to ask a, a cross section of teachers a simple question like how many of you on a even yearly basis go to cultural institutions i'm not even hung up on museums here Mm. How many of you go attend theater performances or dance performances, listen to music, go yeah. to take in art or any of these uh, sort of pursuits that really make define us as humans? Mm. Um, mm. Besides the basic needs that we all have to attend to of earning a living and you know raising families, um, you'd be very surprised to say that very scant few do. Yep. There is however I might add and I don't think teachers realize it we are um, across the country a fairly cultural uh, set of peoples mm. and by that I mean we celebrate festivals around the year um there are community festivals religious festivals uh, mm. I mean a housing society celebrates a festival everybody joins yep. in yep. and I really don't think our educators have made the connect that that kind of uh, soft learning is what they have to introduce in classrooms classroom learning mm. is unfortunately very dry it's still those textbooks you open them up a bunch of dates those very same photographs now a little bit of ha huh, project karke lao so a little bit of disinterested googling slapping it together in some kind of a project and submission i really think that something like history although it's boxed into a subject is something that actually underlies our everyday life and almost everything we do um, and unfortunately that connect is missing i wish it were not so but that's how it is but if if i could play devil's advocate here and just say that uh, while 
our generations are fast forwarding into the future with all the technology around us why should we study history so much i mean what's the point of it just i'm mean, for the sake of discussion <laughs> and yeah of course history is uh, important just for the simple reason that it uh, slots you into where you come from and how you are in today's time i want to um, uh, give a example here of uh, migrant societies uh, now migration and uh, the diasporas in various countries in the past 250 mm. years have been the result of a much of the conflict in the past two centuries around the world mm-hmm. i don't just mean india mm-hmm. and it has also been uh, the shifting of or the loss of your motherland has also been the reason for a search of identity in almost all of these identities and this is something that i'm sure you've influenced it uh you and i are equally comfortable wearing a t-shirt like you are or in traditional clothes like i am but tomorrow the roles may be switched but if you go to migrant societies you will find that they are more indian than usual they are more chinese in their new places they yes. are the ones who have to go to a temple i remember a friend being aghast that she went to us and she was woken up on a sunday to go to the temple yes she's like why <laughs> i don't do that here i was dragged to a temple in america but you know it's it's a search for identity it's again a very um mm. human urge we mm. must know who we are and since the beginning of time we've always had markers of how we dress how we adhere to a community this translates in our language it translates in our dress it translates in our costume in our jewelry mm. in our rites and traditions in our beliefs and it's mm. what makes us human it's when you when you slice off a little bit of that top and then you box it as history that it becomes True. meaningless but there's a deep sense of history in all of us just look at the content of the whatsapp forwards that are sent to us by our uh more how do i put it aware friends <laughs> it will al- almost always be related to history yes. but you know this stone comes back from um 5000 <laughs> years here's its photo you know you know what i'm talking yes, about <laughs> and and my fun, most fun stories from day before yesterday where this camster was caught in kerala mm. 100% literate if you please uh, kerala <laughs> and his list of artifacts had uh, he was selling antiques yep. and he was scamming everybody from the saudis to the uh, malayali billionaires <laughs> and and the things he was selling was um the crook of moses the shroud of jesus oh, i'm reading this and i'm like are you serious people fell for this <laughs> and they did they gave him loans of up to 10 crores because he was the custodian oh, of these religious artifacts God. he had the throne of tipu sultan wow. <laughs> everything matlab Everything. everything the whole list the whole list i might have a list of it somewhere and did it's just so much did he have so did he have khaleesi's fun. dragons as well and frodo's ring uh, pretty much <laughs> myth he left out <laughs> but you see myth he left out he stuck to saints gods wow and uh, and it was incredible <laughs> but but in this whole you know whatsapp and the age of misinformation that we are in today we're going through such a digital onslaught of information and misinformation and everything is at our fingertips how relevant are museums uh museums are relevant and i would just add to that uh, those of i and my ilk <laughs> are conveniently call ourselves um, the glam society at <laughs> aspirational but it's uh, galleries libraries archives yeah. and museums yeah. the sectors known as glam yeah. not in india but well elsewhere mm-hmm. so glam talks are essentially something that encompass these institutions and together with museums like you are i think this group of institutions is very relevant mm. because they remain the only final destinations to actually separating information from misinformation right If you want to know that a country was partitioned and this was the line of partition the only place that you can go back and actually verify that is an archive right the only place where you can find, go and find out any kind of legal agreement or disagreement is actually an archive 
libraries remain the only places digital or otherwise uh, where you can actually go and gather information from independent sources to actually put together an opinion mm. while all of the misinformation as you put it is sent to us is already predetermined mm. this is how it was mm. and then the bunch of information mm. you know the sort of things that come in our short messaging services and all of the things that's just bombarded mm. i actually find that social media has become more and more and more frivolous somebody was talking about you know just the way of how we even communicate i may be showing my uh, newborn baby's face or i may be showing my new clothes or i may be showing the new gadget i've bought yeah but i am amazed at how all three things are actually just shown to a hollywood or a bollywood or some kind of chart topping song mm. which has no yep. context like yeah. you have nothing to say absolutely this is my child or this is his name and this is what it means yep. perhaps you don't know yep. and i i actually think that it's become very very frothy and very dangerous almost cringe. but that's it's, a topic it's, it's very cringe also, almost yeah. but that's us yeah, you that's see us. and that's us but i think we are a minority mm-hmm. uh, there's a large and and i'm sure many of the people who are listening to uh, this podcast mm-hmm. would disagree mm-hmm. that they feel that this is the nicest way to put out but i disagree sure. you know the latest um, foot tapping little bit of bollywood song yep. is not your communication goal to the rest of the world you have a real chance of making a memory archive for your family for your children why would you do that with oh, little bit of funds absolutely mm-hmm. okay but why would you your you know i see whole instagram pages that are just little clips of songs yeah, yeah. and i i feel and i may be wrong maybe you can tell me that 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 goes back to the inability for us to represent and tell our own stories from any meaningful sources yeah. especially in urban india right yep. how can i how can i tell about my tradition if i don't have a local museum i don't have a local library i don't have access mm. so the pandemic in many ways has um made us consumers of whatever is thrown at us true and here we are i completely believe in the democratization of content creation but then that's a that's a very different discussion but then Absolutely. the fact that the quality of content that we put out directly uh, is a marker of the lack of awareness that we have of who we are culturally uh, because i follow a lot of content creators let's say native americans who are now using the power of tiktok to put out their practices to put out let's say inuit throat singing um, and it was interesting because i discovered a a mongolian heavy metal band through a small video of someone uh, demonstrating inuit throat singing and it opened up an it opened up an algorithm for me so i think to train that algorithm online and internally as well we need some spark and our algorithm is is slowly just fading away because we're doing only lip service to the fact that hey this is the land that we come from but what beyond that statement and somewhere i think the roots for that go back to school education go back to the foundation that has been built for you so which is where i come to uh, my my next question with teaching of history in schools as you as you said storytelling and you know uh, how do we make it more immersive how do we make it more wholesome as teachers and as educators I think like I said earlier and also the point that you just made some good has come of all this um intense social communication mm-hmm. there has been certainly a resurgence of the desire to wear for example traditional indian clothes mm. perhaps more among women than men mm. but it mm. has certainly been there because I think informations available perhaps on how to wear mm. it or more comfortable ways on how to wear it um there has been a research resurgence of our traditional indian cuisine mm. perhaps even a curiosity to try other cuisines mm. you know gone are the days when you are obsessing over say a mexican cuisine but you're more happy to try a pasi cuisine yeah, or yeah. that's become that's been normalized yeah. and and that really brings me to the answer to your question is that history in classrooms can simply be made immersive by empowering our educators mm. e- you only have to open up the tiffin boxes of all the children on a lunch break to just talk about history look at the things that um the children bring to school whether it is a, a roll of a dosha or a idli or perhaps parathas mm. or perhaps you know theplas 
three different types of food can spark conversations on regional you know strengths of what's grown yeah. as someone who works with history and has to tra- frequently travel to places where where or to sites i see it if you if you look at rajasthan and gujarat almost all of the cuisine is centered around um, you know besan mm, to put it mm. whether it is dal bati churma mm. and the besan then trans uh, shifts and uh, morphs in gujarat to theplas and your khandvis yeah. and your patras and all of that it shifts ever so slightly into maharashtra and fades and blends into millets it becomes ragi and nachni and jawar mm. and there is a blending of thing and then that seeps further down from maharashtra you come to karnataka it's still ragi but by this time it's steamed ragi and it's blending into rice ragi and rice are being wow. blended and then it further blends into kerala where you are rice eating peoples right. right and if you go to a school break in kerala everybody brings a big tiffin which is filled with a lot of yes. rice and rice in kerala and in tamil nadu yes. i would say next to nobody brings chapatis right. it's it's one of the big complaints <laughs> of tourists coming to kerala mm. and likewise if you were to go to rajasthan mm. rice is almost a bit of a special thing Correct. you eat roti on the go kind of a Correct. thing so to lean into what we already have because you be let's face it when you are talking education i can't be saying ipad nikalo app nikalo mm. it's not going to happen mm. many schools don't even have um electricity True. Uh, and that's a hard fact i think we can lean into the stories of the peoples of who we are in in big cities and that will change dramatically the moment you go to tier 2 and and village schools because then they are all alike right wow. they are all same yeah. and there i think it's important to connect the educators because they too have had not had the exposure and there we must empower them with being able to look research and tell everybody has a smartphone i think the pandemic has ensured that yeah. and you know the government of india actually has a center for cultural studies it's called the cc ccert educational and resource training okay. yeah i think it's okay. called the ccert i may be wrong on that it's a acronym that sounds similar to that okay. they actually have on their websites these lovely portfolios of sites of india along with photographs right. and these are educational resources that are available for any teacher in india right. awareness right. and that's the next thing i think we need to empower our teachers and educators and connect them in networks mm. you have an engineer society and you have a scientist society and botanical society and bird watcher society <laughs> bikers and runners but no teachers no teachers <laughs> wow have you thought about yeah, that absolutely. it's amazing what, right what what fascinating ideas In fact when you were talking about you know just opening that lunch box and talking about stories of three lunch boxes it's just taken me back to school because so I had a classmate who was Tamilian and um every day in his lunch box uh, his mother would very sweetly pack so three boxes we had those little milton tiffin boxes and he'd um carry that uh, there would be three metal containers and one of them would be a vegetable like a beans or or uh, you know lady finger or something another would be dal rice nicely tightly packed because through the day it's just become settled in into a disk of sort and then in one box would always be curd rice curd rice absolutely right? it would always be that now as a north indian i would find it very fascinating that every day the two boxes would change they would keep varying but the third box would always be curd rice if you go to any part of tamil huh. nadu it will always be the huh. same sambar sadam which is your dal rice right. sambar yeah, and rice yeah. rasam sadam there's yeah, multiple yeah. courses yeah. and then finally end with thaira sadam which is your curd yeah. rice i remember working in kalakshetra and after i'm a, i'm a south indian but you know born largely lived elsewhere so i do enjoy wheat products mm, mm. for breakfast you have a rice dosha yes. idli something of that thing lunch is all of this you have to sit on the floor mm. and eat mm. and uh, tiffin at 4 o'clock is also the same thing dinner would be a variation now they've made some changes there are there are bananas and uh, it's a vegetarian diet and uh, i think rotis have been introduced but i remember being bewildered at the influx of carbs <laughs> and i remember talking to a senior director saying you these 
dancers spend eight hours. I said you're feeding them carbs morning to evening. He's like, that's interesting. We've had some of our foreign students tell us Ooh. the same thing. You know, if you if you yeah, yeah. think about it, but but it is set in stone. It has to be rice, and I think maybe it's a food that works for that tropical correct, climate. Correct, correct. Which is what I mean when I was when you were again talking about the three lunch boxes. I would I would be like, okay, so the here's the history teacher sitting with uh, students and explaining to them the different cuisines that come from whichever region, what maybe their cultural influences have been for that cuisine because of the kind of produce that is grown in those regions and you've directly connected it to the geography class. So next when, after lunch, if there is a geography class happening and the teacher comes in, the children have a very interesting insight because now they've had a discussion with the history teacher and it's all over lunch boxes. And you'll never, you'll forget, never forget it. it. You'll always associate you. You'll associate your friend from Gujarat with. Right. The, I mean, it's yeah. how we all associate yeah. our friends, right? Uh, in a in a good way. God, when are you feeding Correct. me this, or when Correct. are you feeding Correct. me that? And and you know that you will reach out to the South Indian friends for mm. that mm. dish, and to the Punjabi for the paratha and the lovely achar Amazing. or whatever. I think it's a great cuisine. I mean, food's a very um sensory way to yep. approach it but there are other sure. ways as well there's music for sure there's language there's the inclusion of words in mm. our language uh, that shows how multicultural you know we speak words every day look at us we are sitting and speaking in a language that has nothing to do with our country Correct. from maybe four five hundred years ago but we are fluent in it and we've made it our own we are very much users of the indian english yep. Siri reminds you of it every day, <laughs> right? And uh, and and our social media, our, everything, social networking, everything yeah, is in em- yeah. embedded in our language, yes. in our vernacular language. Yes. Are the key windows and doors to all of our history. Right. So, in Malayalam, for example, the the table and chair is called the uh, mesa and the casera in Malayalam. Mm. And uh, it comes from Portuguese, mesa and cadeira, mm. the Portuguese broad furniture. And that's it. You, If you tell a child that, you'll remember a little bit of furniture history throughout your life. Wow. Instead of saying that, you know, they they uh, they came on a ship and then they Correct. killed Correct. half of us. Correct. And, and then, then we <laughs> grow up and share things. it as trivia that did you know potatoes came with, you know, the, the traders or tomatoes came into yeah, it. Yeah. We share it as an Instagram but trivia. Ada, but but, ada, but ada. you go to Spain mm. and Portugal and yep. buy it's, batat, it's batatas fritas. Yes. It's, yes. it's fried potatoes. It's batata batata. Wow. There's a story. That was the last uh, holiday I did uh, in Spain and Portugal pre-pandemic. Uh, where I went in for a month and I just backpacked across and I looked at all the historical cultural reference and I was like, there is so much that we live every day, so much of reference from there, which I had no idea about. So it takes a privileged individual like me at the age of 40 to go abroad and then understand that, hey, my way we're of life, connected. we're all connected so deeply. So here's my thing, uh, keeping globalization in mind, uh, how do we draw that balance between history and the study of culture, our own culture as well? Because it is often, the lack of awareness is also often exploited by the powers that are. You know, so how do we, how do we draw that, that fine balance? Because there is also globalization. Our education system, of course, has been colonized. And now we are going to, you know, kind of figure out with the new education policy coming in. How do we dance that? How do we walk that thin line? I think the onus is very much on us as a generation to teach our young to a and I find this increasingly to be important and um, education will unlock that key of empowering our younger uh, generations to take information, evaluate it Hmm. and make a judgment or a call for themselves. Hmm. This is just so quickly going and it's not just for history. It this applies. It's transdisciplinary. But that tool of taking information and explaining it to youngsters and coming to your own individual decision, which may be at odds from the person or your best friend, is very critical. And and that is the only way that I think we will... Globalization is a big word. Mm, when let's mm. face it, most of our, like you said, barring a small uh, minority of privileged people... Yep will ever even have the benefits of perhaps travel abroad. But the reverse influx of big 
uh, multinational corporations coming to boondock villages yeah. will bring sweeping changes in in uh, way of ways of life as we already seeing mm. seeing it in cuisine um in in uh, I mean I'll just give you an example I lived in Pune for a, a while and that Pune is so called Detroit of India and mm-hmm. you know auto manufacturing mm-hmm. and you have not just the manufacturing of automobiles but automobile spare parts and it has led to a fairly large community of expat Koreans and Japanese and and people and Pune today has actually a clutch of very fine Korean and Japanese yep. dining restaurants yep. um the children are studying in local schools because they come there there the, as a community they bring their families right. and um, and so you actually have this you know uh, marathi pune cuisine sitting alongside korean because they eat their mm. their own food so globalization yeah. is there is yeah. impacting take west bengal take gujarat you have these international uh, jcb this that so we, we are it is that collision is already happening in a very gentle beautiful way okay mm. so you don't have to take them we don't have to do anything it's happening but it would be so beneficial if we provided the children in our school the tools to understand what is happening mm. why is a person who sits next to me look different than me and that's all you have to enable and again i say the educators are a key we yeah. just completely yeah. negate them in in such a they are the custodians of the future they train yes. our youngsters i think yes. the pandemic has taught all parents including me oh, what a fantastic job not that i ever doubted it but yeah. of what a fantastic job the educators do mm. in keeping a bunch of youngsters in your things and then training those minds right yeah. Yeah. um and and that really for me globalization clashing into education for me is just that empowering the educators to be if you ask me how would you empower them you must teach educators to be to be open to have uh, empathy to mm. stay curious because mm. children are just sponges they will absorb this from the teachers most of the biases that youngsters have are a direct result of taking it either from the elders in their family Correct. or their teachers Correct. there is no there is no go they don't pick it up from school from yes. phones and TVs yes. and all of that yeah. so it's 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 subliminally ingrained in you uh, subconsciously you constantly fed biases prejudices and then that influences the choices you make as as an adult so at that impressionable age very rightly said as a sponge but let me let me uh, also take you back a little bit into into history where today when we're talking about misinformation and whatsapp and social media manipulated information uh, which is amplified to a great extent because of the power of the internet but as they say history is always written by the victors by the conquerors so how do i know and i'm i'm i mean i'm asking how do i know that the pens written about the rulers or the stories written glorifying them were authentic and they weren't ancient equivalent of what we have as our uh, uh, manipulated information today they weren't that's what i just said that you have to give everybody <laughs> if every individual realizes that the edict of ashoka wasn't the holy grail mm. it was written it's authentic it was written in that that era mm. and therefore mm. it said something that was authentic mm. but it need not be true mm. it was his version of things exactly there would be another version if you can find it and it has survived that would tell another story mm. and so much of the indian storytelling and history has been through the eyes of the colonizer and in the field of art history where i work this is slowly pivoting where uh, younger historians um i would even dare say uh, people who have had the privilege of going um, to a foreign country and understanding the history through that lens are coming back now and writing our own stories through their own narratives yes. and and i hope this this cranks up it's about time the people here wrote our own stories but every story has two sides yes your dad tells a story your mom tells a story and therein lies the story true. it will always be different it will always Very be true. different yes. and i think that's something that you have to tell the and teach the youngsters today mm. Mm. you can question you can question it's it's why you know the ib form of education and all are so kind of mm. Mm. little bit forward because it 
empowers you to question your teacher. Right. I was always ticked off in school for asking why. Mm. Mm. Because then you are the annoying troublesome because you're making the educator person. think and having to um, he doesn't have a thought that's the point i'm trying to make he's like what are you questioning i'm i'm telling you what's written in the book Correct. and you are asking Correct. me and of course it's come as a great life skill now it helps me in my profession my why why is where i go where i go right. um but uh you know when i look at a a clutch of objects to share with the public in a museum mm. i have to ask why mm. I can't put out what's already been there uh, mm. and and been established. I must present it in a way that I may not have the answer for, but perhaps another younger generation yeah. will pick it up and answer that. So And therefore history yeah. is a constantly evolving process. It is not set in stone. There are no everyday, everyday process. process. I mean, you find something tomorrow that will just change the perspective of something that has been believed to be a certain way for for generations and then suddenly you come across another uh, document or or maybe a tablet i don't know i sound like indiana jones right now no it's very indiana jones so let me give you an example think of the things in the past 50 years that we eat that have the ingredient maida mm. maida refined mm. flour whatever mm. it did not exist 100 years ago so what was everything we eat from our momos to our yeah. laddus and what yeah. have you made yeah. with think about that you know i turn to cuisine because it's easily relatable True. for everyone and perhaps for your listeners as well but it's applicable for everything for costume i'm doing this wonderful museum in um goa for the late designer wendel rodricks and i learned so much um you know it was the portuguese before the portuguese landed here uh, 1498 vasco da gama uh, sets foot in calicut and again another fun story for another time but the uh, coming of the portuguese and their being here for 400 years wendel tells the story he's done a book on it um, as well of how goa was the birthplace of the indo western costume right. we only draped we wore dhotis we had fabric you look at the statues of buddha we only wore draped fabric in all its permutations and combinations right. when the portuguese came they came in these tight breeches and velvet things and um but they had mm. to adapt you do not in the weather of goa wear velvet breeches <laughs> health ke liye hanikarak oh, hai and and here here's again something that i learned it was in the 15th century that india gave and we had the luxury of cotton beautiful cloth was what people came to us for besides the spices and other allures uh but we gave the gift of underwear to europe once you gave cotton underwear to europe it cleaned up hygiene problems mm. there was no more body lice and uh, it uh, and a host of other things that i shall <laughs> leave out but <laughs> sure. it was changed forever so if you look at the mario miranda cartoons that you've seen of the babu wearing a jacket and a topi mm. and then niche dhoti pehna mm. mm. that is indo western costume yeah. that's and that's indo-western. where it began wow. and goes again and again and that's the history of fashion So so that's 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 really like I said you know it's 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 fun and we wear it when you wear your pants when you pull up your stitched pants next time remember the portuguese brought that mm. skill here of being able to cut and stitch and wear uske pehle dhoti tha sari amazing amazing deepthi i'm going to have to bring you on for more episodes to just you know discuss singular <laughs> stories there's hyderabad and there's goa and then there's udaipur rajasthan your audience will so pass much. out no more history you can have a history podcast together maybe <laughs> no this is this is what students need to hear this is this is the storytelling but tell me such a diverse land with intricate layers of of history and culture around every corner as we have discussed and you've worked on projects across the length and breadth of the country you've dug out so much how do you navigate through these complexities understand them and then make them relatable to today's generations also as a woman uh, with limited government resources and everything the socio cultural prejudices that come along with it um, how do you navigate these complexities um so eka the firm that i run it's a, it's actually a private company when mm-hmm. i began it with my uh, partner who's actually based in uh, delhi both of us crazy maverick said it's never been done before let's do it 
ഫ്രീ and that we had worked in different mm. parts of the country understanding the nuances and um, intricacies of how our culture works has always stood in good stead be it in um, wearing say for example there are projects where i've only worn sarees and i don't i don't mean this mm. in any way judging those who don't but i'm saying that ability mm. to uh, for example adapt your costume um be mindful of practices simple things like taking off your slippers being respectful of certain hours in the day when they work has been a huge benefit for me as opposed to uh, somebody from say america or europe trying to navigate the same hurdles right. um there have also been moments of cultural learning for me for example i one of my first projects in jaisalmer we were documenting swords armory in an armory and mm. uh, one mm. of the gentlemen very politely i was a young girl he pulled me aside and he says you know in our culture we never keep the sword on the floor it's the greatest insult i give this as part of the orientation as an example to all my younger colleagues and since then that has mm. that has worked because cultural artifacts in our country are not Uh, secular in that sense we still have that that mm. belief system so it's mm. um, important and finally as a as a woman um again being mindful of your own safety as i think all women in this in this uh, country yeah. and being you know accepting of the cultural demarcations that are that exist um has been very very helpful i have admittedly never faced a problem in fact being a woman has always been my strength as i have worked between palaces and cultures and con- different parts of the country um i it's it's always been and i don't think in the field of culture there is any discrimination between men and women anyone can go anywhere some mm. of the leading conservators mm. in the field in india today are women some of the uh, leading art historians most of the leading art historians in india today are women um and um in the field of culture too in any case you see it's relegated as being a more of a feminine uh, genre or a sector so as a woman there's there's been no problem but um definitely i would say it's been a strength really mm. lovely question related to this is also that when when i spoke earlier about how history has been written by the victors the world has consistently been patriarchal in nature and men have often led the na- the narrative but there is a large part of history which has been uh, written by the women and their achievements have often been unspoken or you know shoved under the carpet for lack of a better phrase what in your findings or your learnings have uh, you discovered with the role of women in history of course we hear of a lot of notable figures but there are a lot more than that because the cultural fabric of any society of any civilization uh women have played a very very instrumental role in uh, building it maintaining it and passing it on to the to the next generation so what have your findings been um you're right i mean i'm, I'm not going to argue that point of view uh, the telling of history largely has been very very uh, patriarchal and has been the telling of the story of men and uh, it actually just ricochets right back to what we've been discussing all this while is that uh, for a woman to tell her story you have to educate her you have to enable her to write and read and find platforms in which to tell her story this is a rule that is applicable the world over cut to today the 60 70 uh, 70 plus years odd since independence the decision of successive governments to educate the girl child has definitely paid off 
we have more and more historians who are women right. who are writing the story not just their own stories but the story in in hindsight one of my friends and and i think as is particularly contextual in this is the historian ira mukhoti and um she's written the book called i think it's called the powerful indian women of myth and history it's a recent publication she's also written daughters of the sun retold the story of the looking at the stories of the mughal women you know the mughal culture was just definitely one of the high zenith points of india and um, but who were the women where were the women and uh, uh, looking back at their history and their stories has enabled a new wave of historians to actually tell their tell the new uh, stories we've had um, some royal indian women also write their memoirs princess remembers by gayatri devi i mean these are all these are all memoirs that have been written by women who were in india edwina mountbatten many have written if you were to take the past century and i think that's a good thing but like i said many a uh, slip between the cup and the li- lip and the proportionate representation of women in our uh, corporate industry in our politics in uh, science and technology is skewed and therefore the telling of their stories will also be skewed right baby steps but baby it's steps healthy now i think as many women as uh, yeah. i don't think the society yeah. or we as a community as at, as a whole or have any reservations if a woman writes yeah. a book you know so so i think that has changed in the past 100 Absolutely. years yeah. and and time will tell but Lovely. yeah Lovely. maybe well couple of last questions your advice to students educators and parents navigating the world of careers and also our cross cultural lives now because we are so now so vast the the different kinds of beliefs the different kinds of identities that people are trying so trying to accept and where we've come from so your advice to these three real huge pillars of of society students teachers and parents um as career advice right as career advice a two tiered answer one an advice to everyone listening to this and um, there is nothing stopping you from embracing your culture and getting to mm. know about it more your interest in your own culture whatever it might be it could be textiles it could be the temple next door it could be the um an interest in books historical books anything any aspect of it music dance mm. food whatever it might be lean into it much like the fitness fad that sweeps our country where everybody is doing <laughs> something do something cultural today why because your patronage if i can use that grand word or your embracing of it will directly support a cultural institution in your community or your city when you are interested in theater you will go once a month looking for a place when you are interested in music do it as a fun activity you know instead of going to the mall and having a cup of coffee team up go see a theater go see a play go see a classical indian concert go to humor your dad and mom uh your patronage benefits a, a big section of the society comprising of musicians and artists and performers yes. who have been decimated yes. by this pandemic so that's something that yeah. i advise everyone listening to it do something cultural for the simple reason that you're doing it support someone right uh from a career point of view the first step will automatically lead to the second and this i just always say as a career advice for youngsters lean into what your where your heart takes you and then perfect yourself in that if you have a child who is naturally gifted in music or uh, the ability to tell a story or or you know any of the arts as that as it is things please encourage them and and the first step that i said a healthy community of teachers and dancers and uh, professionals in the field will be able to mentor your child to take that up mm. very often mm. today at least parents say i'd like my child to be a dancer i don't really have a problem because you know you're yeah. already affluent yeah. as a young country we are now in the second or third generation of yeah. wealth yeah. so you can afford for a generation to be kind of okay um <laughs> but the biggest thing is where do i send them Mm. Right where well, my child wants to learn theater mm. kahan bhejein If you are that wealthy you go abroad and then your child ain't coming back but here 
we have a paucity of things so as a career advice the arts is a fantastic and safe space for both young men and women to work in it's exploding there are international biennales here the mm. first clutch of private museums have opened the smaller museums have already opened in tier 2 cities in ahmedabad and jaipur and you know all the uh, calcutta the big cities have already have the mm. big institutions and the bigger institutions are coming uh, there are huge multi crore uh, museums that are opening up in delhi in bangalore people are chipping away at it oh. you know i'm talking about the mega thing Wonderful. and these are then again bringing together yeah, yeah, yeah. cultural yeah, yeah. professionals and you, it's a cycle you will need people to run them and so on so at two levels i think everybody can help by just being more you know leaning into something cultural like you do anuj when you go for a, a historical walk you enable somebody to pursue their love for history yes Yes. It's as simple you, as that. I mean, that. even in Hyderabad, when I when I uh, now go and understand history through walks that my friends do, I'm able to tap into a lot of the local businesses, the local crafts, the local arts artisans, and in a way uh, empower them and empower myself in the process. A lot of Indian women are now buying Indian jewelry, right? Yes, uh, which yes. we've always done. That's a mercifully one of the traditions that survived intact. nobody goes abroad to shop for jewelry for a traditional indian wedding but um, mm. many women are also now buying traditional indian clothes in everyday life you know kind of a higher end kind of a thing and these are all very healthy i think fantastic more indian restaurants are opening up yes um we have a uh, 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 certainly a how would you what's the word fusion of all these trends right you have home museums mm. and you mm. have mm. Uh, indian traditional restaurants that are also having small performances and things like that all of this many drops in an ocean i think it all goes uh, towards a good cause so that would that, and it's such a small lean in right yes yes it takes nothing wow. yeah <laughs> i mean imagine i just met you a few months ago on on clubhouse yeah. and here we are here discussing we are. all of this and then there are listeners who will possibly listen to this and feel empowered yeah um thank you um, any recommendations for books podcasts of course your books that you have co-authored though i'll i'll put those in the show notes yeah. um anything else that you could you know that students could just maybe open up and start reading and just be uh, clued into a little more history uh my books are specialist books so i'll i'll send yeah. you a list of more fun books but uh, podcast definitely a lot of people youngsters listen to podcasts and i also think the younger generation is more uh listening seeing kind of a generation yes. so yes. um i would recommend in india the um i've done one for them but that's not the reason i recommended the raja ravi varma foundation does a series mm. of very they're short they're 20 minutes perfect for a ride into somewhere a walk whatever uh, they have done a series of very good uh, uh podcasts um i enjoyed it's a it's now old but still such a joy going back to the um uh, bbc had done a series by kanish tarur called the museum of lost Ob- objects ah, i don't know if this, you yes. I, i don't know if you've heard it but definitely listen to it it's just such so much fun to um listen to neil mcgregor who was the head of the british museum had done this blockbuster book called uh, history of the world in 100 objects yes oh yes oh what a what a read that's a now read. a podcast Oh and it's biteable enough so again in the podcast you should definitely listen to that and you know these are not like chapters of a story you can listen yeah, to yeah, anything yeah, yeah. once in yeah. a while if something's too boring you click to the next episode wow. um so that's also something and then um the history channel has also something similar which is really nice and and then of course there are isolated for any of you interested in dance or music google search is so nice just type <laughs> it in and you you will bump into something that is really nice books uh ira's books new books are all great uh, my friend manu's books and these are indian authors mm. manu pillai's mm. new books book of false allies is good a friend was just telling me yesterday i haven't read it so mm. but i'm i'm told it's really good There's a book called Indian Summer. It's a it's an old one, but it's kind of part fiction, part history. It's written mm. by, I think, Alex Von Tunzelman. So that's that's a nice book that I can think of. All the dry biographies are always out there, guys. I don't get to the end of many of them, so right. I'm not going to be recommending them. But uh, 
search and you shall find quite a quite a treasure of recommendations yeah and william dalrymple city of gins again right, because of yes. the short format the big yes. tomes are fun and william's writing is well researched yes. uh, but um, uh, the city of gins was one of his earliest books and it's yes. great fun i still think it's a fun read uh, it, it's an absolute it's fun, a fun read, read. Oh, yeah. and you know oh, yeah. easy easy intro yes. into the yes. into the realm wonderful wonderful no what a what a treasure trove so i mean thank you thank you for coming on thank you for recommending these sharing your learnings and and insights and 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 advice and um i'm so glad we connected because i've only recently maybe at the start of 2021 coming to understanding a lot more about who i am and i think interacting with people like you with a lot of historian and journalist friends of mine i've been able to learn so much more and and thank you so much for everything you're doing because it is of course these stories that will empower generations to come and really by documenting the history that you are doing you are making history of your own for future generations so i hope so uh, i think every generation needs people who are a bridge yep. to another yep. time and space and i see my role as that that i'm a custodian i must take something that's given to me and pass it on and i think your podcast is doing a fantastic job so i must compliment you as well thank you i was sharing earlier that I would do this in a parallel life yes. but I don't. So hats off to those who do. <laughs> keep keep talking and uh, inspiring others. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Ed Talk with Anuj. I hope you enjoyed it. New episodes drop every Friday. So don't forget to subscribe and follow Ed Talk with Anuj on social media to stay updated. I'll see you next week.